0: 2020 bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au The issue we're now going to explore is very dear to my heart and I'm sure many people listening. How to care, how to counsel, how to be truly alongside those doing it tough in life. I lost two plus years of much of my life, job, ministry 15 years ago to chronic fatigue syndrome. I found out lots, sometimes by painful experience, about what works and what doesn't work in how to care. In fact, the whole concept of pastoral care actually dates back to the first century of the church. Ed Welsh is proposing a new approach in a way that is still ages old, that of biblical counselling for change, growth and Restoration in the Church. Dr. Ed Welsh is in Australia with the Presbyterian Theological College and works for the Christian Counselling and Educational Foundation in the US, a group, as they say, Restoring Christ to Counselling and Counselling to the Church. They've got courses available all over the world for students representing 42 countries. I'm so glad to say that Ed Welsh is joining us now. Ed, welcome.
1: Oh, thank you so much,
0: Lynn. It's great to actually see you face to face. It's great to meet you. Thank you so much. There is gold in this. In a nutshell, Ed, let's start broadly. Biblical counseling is what? Where did it start?
1: Well, I think you said it well. It started in the early church, and it's been part of the church throughout its history. If we were doing something new, we would be quite concerned. Yes. But there have been times where there's been a resurgence of using the Scripture in pastoral care, Certainly you see that in Martin Lutheran's writings uh, and the Reformation. And there have been places where things have not gone quite as well. I think what we're seeing presently is a resurgence where you saw a decline in pastoral care starting around the 1900s and starting around the 1960s, people being much more interested in the question, what does scripture say to the everyday details of life? So in that sense, biblical counseling, it's that's the, that's what I would call myself a biblical counselor little b which means that it's not a particular distinct movement by one particular person it's we are people who believe scripture speaks to the details of life and the hardships of life in this world you will have trouble and together we want to we
0: want to glean Those beautiful words for suffering people. I want to explore the specifics of how practically that might apply soon. In terms of the history of the church, why do you think there was that decline? In biblical counseling? That's a great question.
1: I I think in some ways, this, this might seem far afield, but in the 1800s, there were cholera epidemics going around. And if you look at the history of the cholera epidemics, the first one, the church was the authoritative interpreter of these epidemics. And of course, the interpretation was, these are really, really bad people and under the judgment of God. And... And that's what was acceptable as the interpretation, which of course is a very wrong interpretation, but it was the one that was mainstream. The next cholera epidemic in the later 1800s, they realized that it was because there was bad water. And in that particular moment, you could, you could almost feel it. You could almost feel the church was beginning to lose its authority in the matters of day-to-day life. Then you have liberalism coming to the church in the early 1900s, and I think some of the best minds in the church were were focusing on liberalism and the battle for the Bible, and as a result, pastoral care languished until probably
0: the 60s. So people were more focused on the Bible rather than the person. They can't do both.
1: Well, certainly the church must be doing both. You know, we we yes. we must be supporting. Here's how. Here's the authority of Scripture for this generation, and here how Scripture speaks to the details of life. We must be doing both. But that connect isn't always the case, is it? And it's hasn't always been the case. there We we always are people who prioritize, and and, and as a body of Christ, as the church, we prioritize as well. And pastoral care was simply not a large priority, and so as a result, you have people like Carl Jung uh, in the 1940s calling himself a secular priest, in part because the priests weren't doing their job, the pastors weren't doing their job. Why should it be a high priority in the church? Well, that's a good question. The, the, matter, the, the real question is, does the Scripture speak to the difficulties of day-to-day life? Or is it simply, is it focused especially on, yeah, there are going to be all these problems, but here's what comes up ahead. Well, we have a God who... We just think about the prayers of Scripture. The prayers of Scripture are about everyday life kinds of things, and God himself beseeches us to speak about the matters of everyday life. And if Scripture doesn't speak to those matters... Then we are we are most miserable people. We have a God who who it's the character of God that's at stake. Ultimately, we have a God whose compassion is an abstraction rather than a reality for those who struggle every single day.
0: One of the challenges in such a title, biblical counseling, is that the application of the Bible is often a product of interpretation. How do you get over that hurdle? Okay it's not so much the interpretation of of scripture
1: that that seems to be the the challenge for us in thinking biblically about the issues of life perhaps we can put it this way to talk about biblical counseling could say we are bringing principles to bear on people's lives principles from scripture and that's that's true the scripture is filled with lots of principles but this, but a better way to think about biblical counseling and scripture in general is scripture is the communication of god to us. Then it becomes highly personal. <laughs> These are the words of the personal God who speaks to us and expects us to be to respond, our hearts to be encouraged by this. And then I find this to be the amazing part of scripture. He calls us to speak back to him and he in turn actually responds to us. That I think that's critical when we think of the word biblical. Biblical These are the words of our Creator and Redeemer, God, to us as his people.
0: Take us through some of your principles that you apply before we seek to specifically apply them to a range of situations. What are those principles? How do you view people, people doing it tough in biblical counseling?
1: And this should be very ordinary. The principles that we derive from Scripture should be things that have been sitting around in theology books for centuries. Here, here would be some that are prioritized, I think. One is, it should sound really, really good it should sound good. This is the gospel. The gospel is good news. This is Christ who has come into this world and has shown interest and is focused on the marginalized. That is really, really good news because most of us can feel marginalized. So that is one of the distinctives of biblical counseling, even when we're talking about sin. And obviously, suffering and sin, those are the two struggles of human life. Even then, it should sound like good news. Here is Let me. Let me. It should be surprising. It should always take us off guard because it's so much better than we ever anticipated. So that's certainly one very ordinary distinctive. I think another distinctive would be who are we? that, That question and and the answer to that is we are. This sounds horribly theological, but let me start with this. We are embodied souls. We are. We are physically embodied. But we are souls. And what does it mean to be a soul? Well, ultimately it means that that we have things that we love we have things that we loathe when you look at the scripture talking about the soul or the human heart it's those things that are most important to us and then and here's something very important in the center of it all is that we are people who are connected to our god and we we know him we turn toward him we turn away from him but all of life is 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 our, we are the children of the living god we are connected to him in some way and
0: we are made in his image so Christian faith holds. So that places the human at a high level.
1: It certainly means that we bring respect to every human relationship that we have. It also means, I think in that particular context, to be created in the image of another. It meant, number one, he's your father. Uh, and so it's, it's very, very personal. Number two, life works best when you take your cues from your father when you maintain your relationship with your father and and you look like him, you look like a chip off the old block. That's what it means to be created in the image of God, that, that we work best when we are connected to him by faith and when our lives are
0: in imitation of his life. There's a lot of logic and deep sense in this. So I want to apply it to a few different aspects of the human condition. First of all, depression, such a scourge of our era. How would you apply biblical counseling to depression. The challenge when we say the word depression, it seems like a
1: very modern problem. It seems like a psychiatric problem. It's for the experts. When you sit down and listen to somebody who's depressed, what you hear is this abject pain. It's even 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 folks who are not Christians who listen to depressed people talk about it's a hopelessness disease. <laughs> there is no reason to go on. <laughs> and so what do we do as we walk with somebody who's depressed? We are moved by them and, and our hearts are, are torn apart as we are people who walk with them with compassion. And sometimes a depressed person can't even pray themselves. And so we come alongside and we pray on their behalf. Lord, you are the God who speaks of hope page after page after page. You are the God who speaks of purpose. Would you grant us eyes to see? What is your purpose? What does it mean to be people of hope? Now, that sounds like a very small thing, but that actually gets to the very heart of depression. And then the question is, what do we do with medication? Well, in short, what we would say is, biblical counselors, as people who live under the word, is is if medication can assuage in some way some of the pains of the onslaught of depression, we're delighted for that to happen, but we but we are not going to leave that person's side while we wait for medication to help or not help, because we recognize that all suffering, now this, this might sound strange, but all suffering is spiritual. All suffering is spiritual. That doesn't mean it's caused by our sin. That doesn't mean it's, it's caused by the judgment of God. All suffering raises spiritual questions. Cancer raises spiritual questions. God, where are you? Do you care? How could a good father allow these things to happen to his child? All suffering is an occasion for spiritual warfare, where Satan comes along and says, yeah, is he really good? Maybe he's not as good as he seems. Uh, uh, Maybe following him does not lead to the pleasures that you once thought. So in that sense, all our suffering raises profound spiritual questions, and depression is a form of
0: suffering. And somewhat, sometimes, connected to depression or traveling alongside it is anxiety. What do you say? How do you meet someone in that place?
1: You listen to some of the old descriptions of depression and it seems like they are speaking almost exclusively of fear. Abject fear is, is certainly a part of it. And sometimes in fear, we we're mobilized to try to deal with the fear. Other times when we feel hopeless in the midst of the fear, we, we are paralyzed, which is the more the depressive look into it. Are, are you trying to be personal with me right now and, <laughs> and step on my toes talking about fears? These are things that I've yes. I've wrestled with personally. I and think most do, them. actually. Yes. And, and it is shocking. Well, it's not shocking to me. Since the Scripture speaks so often about fears, we anticipate we're going to find fear in every single human being. I think what's been surprising to me is women tend to be a little bit more open with these things than men. And for men, fears tend to come out as anger or under the heading of no worries. But indeed, we are people who wrestle with fear. And, and what's the, I'll speak personally here. What's been helpful for me is I've wrestled with different kinds of fears. And in my experience, by the way, Lee, I don't know what yours is, but the older I get, the more I am prone to fear because the more people I love. I think that's a very good point. What have been the things that have been helpful for me? One is, for example, let's say somebody has a fear of flying. I've studied aerodynamics, and now I know how the plane flies, and so I don't have any fears. Well, that's not the way to deal with fears. It doesn't help. Fear is ultimately a relational issue. I feel horribly alone. Lord, are you with me in the midst of these things. And it just so happens that the greatest promise in all of scripture, John Wesley talked about this when people were around his bed, give, reading them the promises of scripture as he was dying. And he said, yes, these are all true, but the greatest of these is God with us. and And that is the cry of, of my heart in the midst of my fear is, do I have the powerful one who is with me, or am I on my own? Now, the scripture says so much more than that, but that seems to be the heart of it. Fear is ultimately not, we need to learn a new principle. We need to have bodies calm down. We need a relationship where we know he is faithful
0: to us. You've written some very helpful books on each of these dynamics of the human condition. There's another one where you address addiction. How do you apply this principle to people with addictions? that they might be helped with those. The way I
1: would think I would talk to somebody who struggles with an addiction is I probably would not begin by talking about the addiction itself. Usually the addiction is, it's a message. Something is wrong. Yeah. Something is wrong. And and I, I need to do something desperate that ends up hurting a lot of people because what I feel feels so, so horrible. So I think, it, I think the way the scripture might surprise us with addictions, where here's this glaring addiction just screaming for our attention, drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be, pornography. And scripture, I think, might surprise us and say, tell me about the shame in your life and how you you believe that you are ultimately a disgrace. You're trying to desensitize yourself to the shame of every single day life. It's, it's possible as we walk along with somebody who's struggling with addiction, we'll never talk about the addiction itself. Now we may, but it's possible that just scratch underneath that addiction and you will find somebody who's struggling with shame. And, and then scripture just comes alive in the way it speaks to that. What does
0: person. it say about shame?
1: It says that you have the right problem because scripture, in the very beginning, it says they were naked and without shame, and then it says now they were naked with shame. And the one question, arguably, the main question of all of scripture is what do I deal with, do with my nakedness, my sense of being un- unincluded, my sense of being cast out, my sense of being unclean and disgusting? That is. That is arguably the question of all of scripture. And you see scripture pointing to it throughout the Old Testament. And then when Jesus comes, all of a sudden, if you're familiar with shame, he's your guy. He's born in shame. The people, the people who followed him, they were the, they were the riffraff, the outcast. They hear the Sermon on the Mount and the poor, the oppressed, you know, the, the people who mourn. The, the, these are not the movers and shakers of society, and and so as a result, by the time you get to Luke seven, fairly early on Je- in Jesus's ministry, the people who get Jesus are the people of shame. And I'm thinking, especially about the woman who had the bleeding. She got him. She heard of him. She said, "This is the guy who invites people with shame to come to him." She didn't know what was exactly was going to happen when she touched him, but she knew that this was this was the one who
0: invited people. Can I ask you one huge question? And it's one that I slammed up against in my own experience. I wonder whether when we get it wrong with people who do it tough, we're always pursuing a quick fix, always imagining that this can be fixed like that. Often this will be a very time-consuming process that requires a great deal of commitment and time. Yeah, the question,
1: where do Christians and where has the church gone off the rails in ministering to suffering people is such an important one. And anybody who's gone through suffering that's lasted longer than today day has experienced the best and the worst of the Christian community. Lee, I think you point out the cautions for us. Are we trying to fix this? Best intentions, but we want to make the person yes. feel better. Yep. We want to make the person feel better right away. Are we trying to fix it? Well, here you have scripture saying in this world, you will have trouble. Yeah and and the promises of god do not necessarily say that everything will be fixed quickly and if we are if we are simply ordinary people who i'm thinking of Exodus 32 here's the way the lord describes himself the lord the compassionate Gracious God. The one who is moved by the sufferings of his people. If, if we are simply moved by the sufferings of others, where they, they get fixated on our hearts, which means we're going to follow up. We're going to next week. How are you doing? If, if we have people on our hearts and then simply have that question, how can I pray for you? Or how can we? Pray together. The answer initially might be, "I have no idea how you can pray for me," or "I don't even want to pray because I feel like God has abandoned me." Well, that you. What do you do? You say, "Well, uh, you don't have faith right now, but I do have faith, and so, so God will speak to you good words. But that's what I'll pray for. I'll pray that together somehow we will find good words that we can pray together. The to know someone." well enough to be able to pray with them. That seems to be really the essence of pastoral care and the essence of biblical counseling.
0: And a compassionate and a gracious person will find the time and will make the commitment. How could we not? This is
1: the character of our God. This is what it means to be created in God's image. We're chips off the old block.
0: Ed Welsh, I think you're really onto something. I'm so glad to explore biblical counseling. If people want to find out more, where can they go, Ed?
1: Well, there are a few different websites. Uh, the website of the group that I work with is ccef.org. That's, uh, CCF in Philadelphia in the USA. The other would be biblical counseling with two L's in au, which is, uh, the privilege. We have a privilege of being able to partner with a growing group in Australia. That would be the Australian website.
0: Ed Welsh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Lane.